Hi, I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and this is Girlboss Radio. The show for and about ambitious women exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. And as you probably already know, or at least I hope you do, we are in the middle of a very, very important election cycle, and there's a handful of women running for office. On Girlboss Radio, we want you to hear from each of them. And earlier this year, we had Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York come on the show to talk to us about her platform. She's since dropped out of the race, but we thought it was important to invite her and other women running for the presidency to come on Girlboss Radio to talk to us. Which brings me to today's guest. Up ahead, you'll hear my chat with Representative Tulsi Gabbard, a four-term Congresswoman representing Hawaii's 2nd District. She is the first female combat veteran to ever run for the U.S. presidency and is one of the first two female combat veterans elected to Congress. She's currently a major in the Army National Guard and has been deployed twice to the Middle East. During our conversation, Representative Gabbard and I covered everything from how she grew up in Hawaii. We talk about how 9-11 changed her career path and inspired her to serve our country. Here's a little bit of what she shared during our chat. I got to a point where I was like, okay, this, this can't continue to be such a struggle. I really got to get this figured out. And just did some, some self-reflection and kind of meditation about why was this so difficult for me. And just realized all of my anxieties and fears and insecurities were coming from a really selfish place. You know, thinking about what are they going to think of me? What if I fail? What if this is too hard for me? All of these things that ended up really pointing to a me, me, me mentality rather than focusing on my purpose. My purpose was to be of service to others. Stay tuned for my conversation with Representative Tulsi Gabbard. I learned a lot and I hope you do too. So Tulsi, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, it's so nice to have you. So you were born, I want to start at the beginning. Yeah. You were born in American Samoa, Mm -hmm. and then you moved to Hawaii. When I was about two years old. So not a lot of memories for me, at least that I can remember, uh, from American Samoa. Hawaii's really been the the home that I've always known, Um, the fourth of five kids. And um, yeah enjoyed and appreciated being able to grow up in not only such everybody knows Hawaii is beautiful with beautiful beaches and mountains and and uh, it, it's the amazing kind of culture and, and people culture of Aloha that um, I carry with me everywhere I go I love it there I spent a lot of time in uh, Hanalei oh gosh I mean not a lot but like yeah enough yeah where in Hawaii are you from did I say it right you, you did I, really good actually okay I'm you trying really I'm learning good. the ropes <laughs> I'm impressed <laughs> um I grew up uh, primarily on the island of Oahu and uh we live on the east our home is on the east side of uh, of that island but my district in Congress is every single island in the state so when I'm home and uh, I'm working there, I'm usually going and, you know, I'll spend a day on Kauai and I'll go spend the next day on Maui and and just taking, um, go, going to people where they are, listening, saying, hey, how can we help you there? Rather than just sitting in an office in downtown Honolulu, kind of waiting for the phone to ring, which is, it's really amazing. I it's, love it. It's so beautiful there. I did the um, Kalalau Trail. 
Yes. The whole thing, like wow. all 11 miles in a day. Wow. I um, have not done that. You know about Crawler's Ledge? No. It's like a ledge that is like of half a foot wide that is on like a sheer cliff that people have died on. And I was like screaming on all fours and my boyfriend was screaming at me like, you're, you're not that important <laughs> or something <laughs> like, like really tough. He was like, the only time I've ever seen anybody freak out like that is when they're on acid and like that was his response oh boy anyway, it's like get out of it snap out of it anyway <laughs> Sounds like a very life-defining experience though, yeah, yeah to it, get was, through that. it was terrifying i will never do it again um and then there's people running by on like flip-flops and i'm like who are these mm-hmm. people yep so i want to get into your first job because i ask everybody on the podcast like where did you start and there's jobs and then there's like ugh, jobs yeah. like first crappy job Mine was, I was a sandwich artist at Subway. Mm-hmm. What was your first, first job? So our family, uh, my parents, they're, they're teachers by trade and training, but really entrepreneurs at heart. And so over the years, as as they were working as teachers, they would have a small business. My dad, uh, you know, back in Samoa, they, uh, he was the assistant dean of the community college. Mom was a special ed teacher there. And uh, they had Mike's sports shop. They both love to play tennis. So they've always had something going on. So for me, when I was growing up, there was a family restaurant, a deli. I don't know if that qualifies as the first job job, but, you know, I would help uh, wipe tables and pick up, you know, broccoli from the salad bar off the floor and all that kind of stuff. And I got paid $2. uh, I'm sorry, $6 every two weeks. That was kind of the first. Uh, so it's like, okay, I made it. I'm gonna put two dollars in the savings account. I have two dollars for candy, and I'm gonna think it's like two dollars to go towards like a charity or something like that. And and that was a a, a good uh, lesson. Um, my first like actual paycheck job, I think, was as a cashier at a local health food store. I delivered newspapers and stuff before that, but like an actual paycheck with my name on it. So it sounds like service and entrepreneurship are an important part of your story. Very much like so. That was at the core of your parents' experience. How has that affected, you know, obviously it's like obvious in many ways, but do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Obviously you've served, you know, so much for this country and thank you for that. My um, privilege. How thank do you, you think you've parlayed that into your career today? I didn't know what kind of career or uh, or, or job or industry or whatever that I wanted to pursue um, when I was younger, uh, I, I definitely knew and experienced from a young age that I was happiest when I was doing things to help others or to serve others, or have a positive impact on other people. So that was something I knew that I wanted to do at a practical level. I wasn't sure what uh, form or shape that would take. Um, and it's taken me down very different paths throughout my life. But every one of the decisions that I've made, whether it was, you know, uh, going to, to elementary schools as a teenager and, and forming this environmental kind of educational program or um, running for state house. I was 21 years old, uh, enlisting in the military. All these different decisions have been driven by um, a desire to be of service with my life. And you mentioned entrepreneurial, kind of the, the entrepreneurial streak runs deep in our family. And I think for me that has... Um, continued to to play out through just finding creative ways to solve problems, you know, whether it's um, in politics and, and building coalitions, bring people together, uh, finding people who have different experiences, getting the value from what they can bring to how to solve these problems, rather than just kind of sticking within the same kind of boxes 
that have existed for so long and that, frankly, um, have not helped bring us closer towards solving the age-old problems that um, people and families across this country are facing. So you mentioned running for the Hawaii House of Representatives, yeah. and you won. I did. And you were 21. I was 21. And then you were the youngest representative elected in Hawaii. Yeah, ever, ever. elected in the state. Yeah, it... it um, it was a terrifying experience in the beginning. <laughs> I um, I was really, really, and, and still I'm very passionate about uh, issues related to our environment. You know, things like clean water, taking care of our oceans, um, uh, preserving natural resources. And so that was what motivated me. I, I was like, okay, like we can go clean up beaches on the weekend. We can do these things, which are great. Uh, but I think I can do more to help try to be in a place where I can help shape the policies that will accomplish that goal of 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 preservation and ensuring that these resources stick around, that they're they're there not just for us but for generations to come. So that was my motivation when it came to actually like, okay, how do you run a campaign? Like, what do you do? <laughs> like, what do you do at a practical level? Tell us what you do because we thing, don't know. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know either. <laughs> Um, you know, now it's amazing. They have all of like these camps and these seminars and stuff for kids in high school and, and young women to go through. I didn't have any of that. Um, so I started with, okay, I got to find out who the voters are and where they are. Uh, got on my computer, made up a little like black and white one eight and a half by 11 brochure, um, ran off a bunch of copies. I think we paid like a hundred bucks for a voter list of all the registered voters in the district. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go and just start knocking on people's doors, introducing myself to them, letting them know who I am, why I'm running for a uh, state house, and asking for their support. Uh, easier in my mind than um, in reality. I, I, fourth of five kids, the most shy and introverted of all the kids in our family by far. So if anyone had asked us, like, okay, which of the five are going to go and get involved in politics or run for office? Um, nobody would have put their money on me. <laughs> I'm also an introvert. So how have you adapted as an introvert to being someone who's so public and voicing your opinions? Yeah. Like, that's your job. And it's scary to put yourself out there. It is. And as introverts, we need time alone. Mm -hmm. And I want to get into how you take care of yourself on the road a little bit later in the conversation. But how we actually do it. How do you get over that? Yeah, right? how, how do you, you get through that? How do you get over that? It, um... It's it's it took it was a process, uh, you know. The very first day that I went out and and was about to knock on that first door, I sat in my car uh, for about twenty minutes, just like all these anxieties and fears and insecurities kind of running through my head. All these scenarios of, well, I wonder who's going to answer the door. Are they going to be nice, you know. What if they ask tough questions? What if I don't know the answer? Just all these what if scenarios playing through my head, summoning up the courage just to go and knock on a total stranger's door. And of course, you know, in, in, when I went and I actually did it, uh, you know, amazing, kind, like retired, older Filipino woman. She's like, oh, come inside, you know, have a drink of water, tell me who you are and all this stuff. It's like, oh my gosh, that was so nice. It remained um, hard, like this, this, this even door by door. And I ended up knocking on thousands of doors um, through that election process and that campaign, giving speeches. I'd never given a speech before, had to give a three-minute speech. I'll never forget. It's the very first speech I ever gave. Get up on a stage in, a, I think it was a middle school cafeteria, and talk for three minutes about who you are and why you're running for state house. 
I stood outside, thought I was going to throw up, I was freaking out. I don't even remember how it went or what I said, but, you know, got through it. And uh, ultimately, years later, I just I, I got to a point where I was like, OK, this this can't continue to be such a struggle. I really got to get this figured out and just did some some self-reflection and kind of meditation about what why was this so difficult for me and just realized all of my anxieties and fears and insecurities were coming from a really selfish place, you know, thinking about what are they going to think of me? What if I fail? What if this is too hard for me? All of these things that ended up really pointing to a me, me, me mentality rather than focusing on the people. First of all, focusing on my purpose. My purpose was to be of service to others. And so instead of focusing on myself, focus on them and and like come in with a mindset of how can I share my aloha with this person? Actually listen to what they're saying and and to be able to earn their trust and uh, so that I can be in a position to make a positive difference. And that was just like, I mean, it was a light bulb that went off that changed my whole mindset uh, of how I walked into every room, kind of, you know, what I was thinking about before I would go and do a television interview or give a speech in, in always just getting centered in, in my heart and my motivation and how, um, how I can make that positive impact for those that I was seeking to serve. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I mean, it, it, it's the same with business in that if you don't listen to your customers, if you don't go hear exactly. what it is that people like, if you don't put your product in front of them and say, do you like this? Like you don't have you don't have a customer. Right. You don't have a business. And it's really about listening. Right. Brick by brick from mm-hmm. the very beginning. Yeah. If you don't if you don't lay that foundation. So a year after you were elected to the Hawaii House of Representatives, you joined the Hawaii Army National Guard. Yeah. Why did you decide to do that? It was the um, it was the attacks on 9/11 that motivated that decision. Um, like so many people across the country, you know, it was a day that uh, completely changed all of our lives, and I wanted to do my part in being able in being able to go after um, you know the terrorists who attacked us on that day and to defeat and destroy the evil um, that we saw visited us. And um, so I, I actually, I enlisted, I was uh, enlisted on the state, on the, the floor of the state house of the representatives in Hawaii, uh, shipped off to basic training in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, uh, shortly after our legislative session was, was complete. And then um, a few months after I returned from that training was when our unit was, uh, or the, the brigade combat team in Hawaii was called up for a deployment to Iraq, which was the first deployment for that unit as a whole since Vietnam. And so the vast majority of people um, in that brigade combat team, almost like 2,500, 3,000 people had never seen combat before. Um, I was serving in a headquarters medical unit at the time. I was not my name was not on the mandatory deployment roster. And so you know, my commander called me and he's like, hey, you know, good news. You get to stay home. You don't have to worry about getting deployed. It was going to be 18 months, like four months train up, 12 months serving in Iraq, and then another month or two when we came home. And um, I just, you know, I thought I thought about what he was saying and knew that there was no way that I could stay home in, you know, 
beautiful Hawaii, safe Hawaii, and just wave goodbye to uh, my brothers and sisters uh, in uniform. And so I, I just, I said, nope. Uh, I'm going. He's like, no, you, you know, you're the job that, that you're trained for in this medical unit's already filled. You don't have to go. And I said, no, you don't understand. You have. Uh, they had another job that needed filling, and uh, so I volunteered. Uh, volunteered to deploy and uh, stepped away from the re-election campaign that I was running at that time, and um, uh, embarked on on a journey with my brothers and sisters in uniform that would forever change all of our lives. Are there any like strategies of war that you think can be applied to hmm. being an entrepreneur, smoking out your enemies? <laughs> oh man, yeah. Are there are there similarities or anything that you learned from that training yeah. that you've applied? Absolutely. Um, I served uh, the first four years of my service in the military was as an enlisted soldier. So I started out as a private, an E nothing as they call us, and. Um, then went through officer candidate school and was trained how to lead soldiers. And then uh, second deployment was as a lieutenant. And so for me, it was was and, and is experience that I continue to appreciate of, you know, being one of the worker bees going and, you know, on kitchen duty and, and scrubbing toilets and, and doing all the other stuff, um, as well as then to go and then be trained to lead soldiers, having an understanding of exactly, um, you know, what that means on both ends of the spectrum. Hi guys, it's Sophia here. Listen, I'll cut to the chase. We launched a digital social network for you that's free where you can meet with ambitious women, ask them questions, answer their questions, create a virtuous cycle of women supporting women, and create a beautiful profile where you can showcase not just what you do, but who you are, because we're not LinkedIn Monday through Friday and Instagram Saturday and Sunday. This is a place where you can bring your whole self and advance yourself, your life, along with other women who are ambitious and committed to doing the same in their lives. You can message thousands of other users in a way that's thoughtful. Check it out because the way we do messaging and connecting is really unique. And we have regular programming in the form of Digital Firesides, which is where we bring in women like the women who are on Girl Boss Radio, who may be a little bit further along in their careers and lives to share more about how they're doing it. You can ask them questions directly in real time. So you want to get started? I want you to get started. Let's all get started together. We're starting every day. So just go to girlboss.com and sign up to be a member. It's free. And hey, you might just meet your next co-founder. How did you go from enlisting in 2004 to running for president of the United States of America? <laughs> I want to understand what yeah. happened between the, then and now. It, it was the uh, the experience that I had on those deployments that when I uh, when I came home, I I just there was no way I could go back to the life that I had left behind, having uh, seen and experienced firsthand the terribly high human cost of war. I wanted to come back and be in a position where I could make those decisions influence those decisions that are being made by leaders in our country about where and when our men and women in uniform are sent into harm's way. The very first task that I had uh, during that deployment to Iraq in 2005, it was uh, the height of the war, and we saw a lot of casualties, and I had to go through a list 
name by name every single day of all the American injuries that occurred in the previous 24 hours. And knowing some of the people who were on that list, understanding these weren't just names on a page or a statistic, well, we have X number of KIA or, you know, killed in action or wounded in action, but knowing that, hey, these these are my family, these are my brothers and sisters in, in uniform, and behind every one of those names, there are, you know, husbands and wives, moms and dads, kids, uh, brothers and families back home who are worried sick and, and, you know, laying awake at night, hoping that they never get that knock on the door, uh, bringing the most terrible, uh, unimaginable news to them. And uh, so that's, I mean, that's what led me to run for Congress. I, I, I came back from those deployments not knowing exactly how or where I would get to a place where I could have that that impact, but eventually ran for Congress. And uh that's what led me. I've been in Congress now for almost seven years, really focused on issues of national security, serving on the Foreign Affairs Committee, the Armed Services and uh, Homeland Security Committees, you know, uh, engaging with world leaders, uh, providing oversight over Department of Defense, the State Department, you know, the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, getting really deeply involved in these issues. And through that experience, through my personal experience as a soldier, understanding the importance of having a commander-in-chief who's qualified to do the job. And that's what brought me to run for president. You feel like that kind of service should be a prerequisite to being in politics? I don't. I think that, you know, there's there's very few people who are willing to raise their hand and do so knowing that they may have to sacrifice their life in service to our country. Uh, I I don't think that that should be something as a prerequisite to serve in political office and or as as president. However, I do believe that leaders in Congress and the president of the United States need to have that same mindset and that same um, empathy. Yes, empathy and understanding of the cost of war and the sacrifices that are made. And that same willingness, really, to put service above self, because, you know, for our men and women in uniform, that's their their willingness to lay your life down for your country comes from a place of that ultimate example of service above self. Leaders in our country need to embody that same um, principle and value in every single thing that they do. And I think where we see a lot of the problems uh, coming out of the hyper-partisanship and gridlock and and uh, special interests being served in Washington rather than the interests of the people, that's really where it's coming from, where we have too many leaders who are self-serving or looking out for their own interests uh, rather than just having that laser-like focus as our troops do on service, service to our country and service to our people. And you won your first House of Representatives seat in 2012, and you were called an underdog, Yes. Do you still consider yourself an underdog? Yes. <laughs> Do you think that underdog mentality is something we should all adopt? Like, I I believe we should, I don't want to insert too many opinions here, no. but that's what keep can keep us, you know, once you think you've made it, you get lazy. Yes. Right? It's so, so true. You st- start taking things for granted and yeah, you just kind of think, oh, okay, well, things will come to me, right? Things will just happen. Uh, that that was something that uh, during that that race for Congress... Um, in 2012, 
There were a few people running, but the, there was one person who had just run for governor in Hawaii who was formerly the mayor of the, of the city and county of Honolulu, which is one of the largest um, city and counties in the nation, population-wise. And everybody knew who he was. Everybody who was somebody in Hawaii said, well, he's going to win. Like, I was talking to people asking for their support of the kind of the our political establishment in Hawaii. And like, Tulsi, we like you. Uh, we think you're bright. We think you have a great future. But, you know, this guy's got it. It's not your time. Maybe come back in like meh, 20 or 30 years and uh, give it a shot then. Um, I didn't listen to any of them. I was polling at like 3%. He had close to 100% name recognition. So the bar was like the, the gap was pretty huge to overcome. Uh, but I... I knew why I was running. I knew very clearly what my purpose was. And I went directly to to voters and I told them in small groups, in large groups, I said, I'm applying for a job from every single one of you so that you can be my boss, so I can work for you, be your voice, represent you. And uh, the way that we turned that race around five months before election day, uh, I had made tremendous progress. I was then polling at, I think, 25%. He was polling at 65%. It's like, awesome. We're moving in the right direction. Uh, we ended up winning that primary election with a 22% margin of victory over the guy that everybody said had had already had the race in the bag, who was already talking about hiring staffers like six months before the election, thinking about decorations for his office. We turned that election around because we focused on who was most important, the people who are actually exercising, uh, you know, making sure their voices are heard um, through their votes. And uh, that that experience, um, I, I just carry with me, always focused on, hey, it's, it's the people who I'm serving, not others who may think that they have the power. It's the people who have the power in this country. And running for office, being in politics, being in an, any position of leadership, you have to make unpopular choices. It comes with criticism. I mean, that's like, you know, it's got to be like an onslaught of that all day long. And yeah. I think we all experience criticism and naysayers. How do you keep yourself going when the times get tough or people disagree with you or try to slaughter you in the media? Like, oh, it's yeah. like, it's <laughs> I've, I've been there at a yeah. different scale and- it sucks. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> how do you how do you cope with that? Uh for me personally, I um my my grounding and my foundation uh comes from a spiritual place. I um you know, my my I practice uh yoga meditation and yoga asanas uh, every day and and uh find that strength and that resilience in my own personal relationship with God, uh, loving relationship with God and my purpose, which is, um, you know, to be of service. And so even as these attacks are coming and people are trying to undermine my campaign or trying to make, um, get in the way of, of, of me trying to accomplish this mission that we're on, uh, I just keep going back to that place of my motivation and and who I am seeking to serve. I am not trying to serve anybody in the media or this critic or this special interest or that political opponent. Uh, I'm I'm in this to make a diff- positive difference for the people of our country. 
And so that's what gets me through, uh, you know, th- that's the, the coat of armor that I wear uh, every single day. You're not only running for president of the United States of America, you're currently a major in the Army National Guard. Yes. Is that correct? So you're a multi-hyphenate. How do you balance that along with running for presidency? Time management. It is, it is, it's tough. You know, when you sign up for the National Guard or the Reserves, they say, oh, you know, it's, it's one weekend a month and two weeks a year. No problem, right? But uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a challenge but one that I'm I'm grateful to make sure that I, I carve out time for. It's incredible just to be able, I did a two week, I did my two weeks uh, recently doing a, a joint training exercise with the Indonesian military. We were in Jakarta, a group of us from the Hawaii National Guard went and trained with uh, some leaders from the Indonesian military. And uh, it was two weeks off of the campaign trail uh, at a pretty critical juncture, this happened in August, and a lot of folks in the media were like, well, this is terrible for your campaign. Why are you doing this? Um, I, I'm grateful to be in a position where I can serve in many ways, and this was upholding my my duty and responsibility uh, through the National Guard and, and just gained amazing experiences in the process of working with leaders from other countries in their militaries focused on, on what we started talking about, on solving problems. And also you don't accept campaign contributions from corporations, lobbyists. Or, or PACs. Any PACs. Yes. How People does, power. How does this a- approach allow you to stay true to your convictions and also for those of us trying to build our businesses and punch above our weight without the same kind of marketing firepower that something like a pack might get you. Yeah. What would your recommendations be to apply that to our personal lives as well or our, our personal businesses or entrepreneurship? You know, it's, it's amazing to see how um, people are, are finding their voices and their power and for for me, it's 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 inspiring to you know when I get emails from people who are saying, "Hey, I've just uh, become a ten dollar a month recurring donor for your campaign," and uh, now we're at a point, I think we're nearing two hundred thousand individual donors across the country. People who are who understand that this campaign, it's not about me; it's about all of us coming together to bring about the kind of change that we need to see. Uh, of this this service oriented change and personally investing in it themselves, taking that responsibility um, themselves to be that change. And uh, you know, I think for for small business owners and for entrepreneurs and others, when you're going out and you're fundraising and you're trying to, you're you're not really getting people to invest necessarily in the product itself. They're really investing in you. And what you bring to the table as, you know, the small business owner, as the leader, as the entrepreneur, um, because, you know, without that, uh, you you don't really, there's not much else there. So I want to talk just a little bit about your platform. What issues are you most passionate about and what is your stance? Uh, I've made foreign policy a central focus of my campaign because really foreign policy is domestic policy. It's inseparable. Too often people say, oh, well, that's just one issue of many other issues. Yeah, we'll get to that later. But when you're looking at uh, everything from health care to affordable housing, um, infrastructure needs, 
addressing climate change, uh, education. Every one of these issues requires investment of resources. And so long as we continue the foreign policy that we have, we will continue to see a drain on our taxpayer dollar resources going to fight and wage wars that are completely unnecessary and that are counter to our uh, our interests as a country and actually undermine our national security. This goes back to what what are we actually trying to achieve? What's our objective? And let's make sure we're accomplishing that. So um, bringing about this change in our foreign policy that I talked about allows us to redirect those resources to the things that that maybe keep people up at night, that they worry about, you know, their, their uh, child, you know, who has diabetes and they can't afford the insulin that they need to make sure that their child is healthy, uh, you know, or, or to teachers who are working hard every single day to um, provide our kids with the tools they need for success, but are, are heavily underpaid, overworked, and don't have the tools they need to be successful. So um, this is this is the central issue that I've uh, pointed to so that we have the resources to make the kinds of progress we need to see across the board. And you mentioned the environment, which you know is a big topic and something yeah. a lot of our listeners care about. How can we contribute to help protect the environment on a daily basis? I think that framing of this question is really important because a lot of focus is, I think, rightly put on our government, uh, what policy changes there need to be, um, uh, what kinds of investments we're making, and there's there's huge change we need to to make there. Uh, but there's also a question of personal uh, contribution and, and responsibility, and I think both are absolutely essential if we're serious about addressing the environmental threats that we face. Um, so a few priorities I think at the federal at, at the government level is is ending the nearly thirty billion dollars a year that uh, we as taxpayers are paying to subsidize the fossil fuel industry end that and redirect those resources towards investing in the kinds of amazing innovations that are happening around a green, a new green renewable energy economy that, you know, creates good paying jobs, that that improves all of our standard of living, that protects uh, our environment and uh, empowering and incentivizing those who have this expertise and this drive to come up with these amazing solutions that that create for a sustainable society. I think we've got to do the same around agriculture. A lot of focus is often put on fossil fuel uh, and energy, but we've got to place that same emphasis on the agriculture industry that too often, again, heavily sub- subsidized by taxpayers, but it's subsidizing the wrong stuff. You know, it, it's subsidizing a lot of multinational corporate agribusiness um, companies who are uh, focused solely on driving up their profits, but ruining our soil and emitting more carbon into the atmosphere rather than looking at, you know, local and regional farmers, people who are growing food to feed people, people who are using regenerative farming practices, which not only are great for maintaining soil quality, but actually help recapture a lot of the carbon that's already in uh, our environment. What issues would you say most affect women and what do you think we can do to improve them, whether it's the gender wage gap, parental leave? What topics are you most passionate about and what can we do to to improve those things? Yeah, you know, one thing that um, as you know, I think I was elected when I was 31 years old to Congress and um, the numbers of women serving in Congress have grown since then in the last, you know, seven, eight years, which in and of itself 
is bringing uh, more light and more conversation to many of the issues that that women, uh, especially of our generation, are facing. Um, and, and I think one of the things is that in Washington, when people think about women's issues or they say, oh, well, yes, you know, I support women's issues too often. They're so narrowly relegated to issues of reproductive freedom and maybe that's it or, or the, uh, you know, the wage gap, which, you know, both are extremely important. But what I have found just in my own experience and, and with, with women of all ages who I talk to is every single issue that we deal with in this country affects us as women, they are all extremely important. And bringing the perspective of women to these issues by electing more women leaders, by electing more uh, young leaders, people who are, you know, maybe starting new families. Um, it's bringing a whole new perspective to the debates in the halls of Congress at every level of government about things like um, how necessary parental leave is, paid family leave, what it means to have come from a place where, you know, maybe you've experienced very directly um, the wage gap that still exists for uh, women and uh, and uh, minority communities, people who are struggling uh, oftentimes just to, to live paycheck uh, to paycheck. And so, um, you know, the reforms that we need to see really that bring about the kinds of empowerment to women and uh, to people who for so long have been ignored by the rich and the powerful who have such influence over our government is really at the core of, of the change that we're seeking to bring about to make sure that we have a government that's actually of, by, and for the people, and that's responding to the very real challenges that we are facing in our society today. Hello, Sophia here. Quick question. Have you ever felt like the most ambitious person in your circle of friends? Because sometimes the people we grew up with or even go to college with end up in really different places in their careers. And finding people like us, finding women like us, can be challenging. Networking is really challenging, especially if you're just coming up in your career. Executives have years and years of networking, but there's no place for us to congregate actually beyond the Girl Boss Rally. So that feeling, the spirit of the Girl Boss Rally is something that we've brought online. Girlboss has built a free online platform and community for women just like you. It's a professional social network where you can ask and answer questions that are relevant to you, search for other women in your community or by industry, message them directly, and we have weekly programming in the form of fireside chats, which are really our AMAs or Ask Me Anythings. You can sign up by going to girlboss.com and get ready for a different kind of networking experience where women support women. I'll see you there. You're busy. A little bit. How do you take care of yourself on the road? You're doing so many things. You're training in Jakarta. You're running for president. <laughs> You're a major in the U.S. National, National Guard. Guard. Yeah. How, how, what do you do for yourself? Do you, I mean, how do you balance it all? Discipline. Yeah. I think that's that's the the best word to encompass it all in recognizing that you know if I don't take care of myself then I'm not going to be able to do all of these other things that that I want to do uh, and that I need to do and and for me that that encompasses uh you know physical mental and spiritual health and well-being and so on a day-to-day -day basis uh yeah we're on the road we're kind of in and out of hotels all the time airplanes cars 
Um, I'd make time every morning for uh, both yoga meditation and yoga asanas, um, as well as closing my day out with some yoga meditation as well, just having that spiritual grounding and foundation uh, at least four to five days a week, try to get in a good solid workout. My, I, I don't always have a lot of time. So like, uh, I like the high intensity interval training for good 28, 30 minutes or so maximize it. I hate running, which oh. is, is like, so this keeps my attention and I, I, I work really hard for that 30 minutes and it sucks the entire time but when it's over. I'm like, Oh my gosh. I feel great. Your skin feels like a baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sweating, sweating makes your skin look better. Um, and then stay hydrated and eat healthy. I think those those are the the basics that I try to cover. And I think this segues pretty naturally into a question that I ask everybody that comes on Girl Boss Radio. And one of the things we think a lot about here is this concept of success, mm. because there's financial success, there's success in business, there's success in getting pregnant by a certain age, and mm-hmm. um, and and what culture rewards is sometimes you know not not right for us success means so many things and it's very individual and it can also change for us over time what does success mean to you right now success is doing my very best and giving my all in this mission that i have chosen for myself uh to be of service um i've never been attached to titles or choosing a career or, you know, kind of superficial benchmarks um, or kind of a lot of the material things that are often associated with success. Uh, It it really is understanding that as long as I do my best coming from this motivation to serve, honestly, the outcome is out of my hands. I I don't have any control over the outcome whether that's true for it is true for for me in politics, especially, uh, but it's, I think it's true of any kind of venture we take on in our lives, and uh, this this idea of servant leadership I think is really important uh, and essential, certainly for those who choose public service as their path. But I think the opportunity for us to um, make positive change within our our society is for these principles of servant leadership to be implemented um, by leaders across all sectors. And I have another question that I ask everybody, which is, it's called Girl Boss Moments, which really is, it's a little nebulous, but it's <laughs> a time in your most recent life where you were really proud of something. And it sounds like there's a lot of moments like that for mm. you. You're on your way to be proud of a really big thing, but, and it could be something really small. Yeah. What was that moment for you most recently? Um, literally most recently, uh, last night we had a town hall meeting here in LA and a young woman came up, you know, I, I spoke for a few minutes and we took some questions and answers, had a great conversation, had about 500 people who came and afterward, um, was able to stop and and do individual meet and greets with everybody who came out. And this, this young woman came up, she's probably around 20 years old and she just had tears in her eyes and she she reached out her arms to give me a hug and I gave her a hug and she turned away from the cameras that were there and she just said, I want you to know that um, it was not that long ago that I wanted to take my own life. And then I heard a talk that you gave on YouTube or something and um, 
the message that she heard of love and service and caring for one another and for our planet uh, gave her a hope and an opening to walk away from that darkness that she was facing. Isn't it incredible how putting something out into the world, it, it lives for a long time. And even if it doesn't accomplish what we expected it to accomplish, if your book doesn't hit the New York Times bestseller list, you know, we have our goals. But it's so easy to forget about how much of an impact every word you put out into the yes. world can make. And often you don't see it. And often those people aren't there to hug you or exactly. tell you that. And it's so rewarding when you hear those stories, but there's a million more stories that you'll never hear. That's that incredible. If you speak your voice, mm -hmm. helping other people mm -hmm. is... Being kind. It's, being it just keeps doing the work for you. Exactly. And you don't even, you shouldn't get credit for it. Absolutely. You, you let it go. Yes. Um, yes, and, and knowing that that she will, you know, she's now gone through this experience and she's sharing it with other people and, and she herself is opening that door and kind of bringing that light to other people around her. It's really, really uh, amazing. Tulsi, thank you so much for joining me on Girl thank Boss Radio you. today. This has been wonderful. Yeah. That's our show for today. I want to thank Representative Tulsi Gabbard for coming on Girlboss Radio. It's not every day we get to hear from a presidential candidate. And I know there's a lot more presidential candidates out there trying to earn your vote. And I hope this conversation helps you better understand the motivation behind just one of those candidates. We're working to try and get more presidential candidates to come on the show. And hopefully in the coming months, we'll have more of them share with you what their plans are for the presidency. All right, that's it for now. If you have any feedback on the show, you can always email us at radio at girlboss.com. And we always appreciate you leaving a review and rating us if you haven't already. Okay, guys, till next week.